How many of y'all feel way better today than you did last night? Anybody? All right, good. I see those hands. All right, real quick. Ready? Everybody stand up. We're doing calcinics. No, I'm kidding. I don't even know what that is. All right, everybody stand up. Go, go, go. Face this way. Ready? Everybody face this way. Put your hands on the person in front of you and do something weird to their shoulders. Go real quick. Just wake them up. Do whatever you got to do. Just do something strange. All right. Make sure you work it out now. Stop. Face the other way. Repay. Repay. Whatever that looks like. All right. Good. Good. Now. All right. Ready? Now, everybody put your hands straight up in the air. Just hold them there. Everybody do your thumbs like this and armpits to the person next to you. Okay, good. All right, good. Now you can sit down. Hopefully, we're a little bit awake and ready to go. Um, Great to see you guys again. Uh, Mornings are hard for everybody, so let's get that out of the way. All right, so whatever you're feeling... I'm feeling too, okay? So is the band, so is everybody else. So we're going to do our best this morning uh, to hit this thing straight on. Now, this morning is what I call, ready, a uh, big boy talk, okay? Big girl talk, big boy, big girl talk, depending on who you are. And uh, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know any other way, and I'm going to be honest, than to go straight at this. And uh, so let's just jump into it. I want to pray for us as we start. Ready? Let's pray. God, I love you a lot. And as I look over this room, um, I don't know everything about every person I'm looking at, but you do. And my prayer this morning is that you would just speak to our hearts, no matter where we are in our journey with you. I pray that you just speak to us personally, that you would move us to action, that when we leave this week, that we would not be the same. Not because of something I said or the band said or Steve said, but because of what you have spoken into our hearts through a relationship with you. Speak to us this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, um, go ahead and just kind of flip over to the uh, book of Psalms and just kind of stick your finger in there and hold your place. Um, Our world is looking for purpose. Our world is looking for meaning. It's looking uh, for direction. For years and years, uh, this has been true. And in a world that so tries so hard to deny that God is real at times, right? In a world that sometimes gets its eyes off what's most important, we're an incredibly me-focused society. It's amazing to me that when tragedy hits the world, listen to this, That when tragedy hits the world, that the one thing the world will do when it tries to push God out of schools, it tries to push God out of people's lives, and it tries to take religious liberties and freedoms away from people, it's amazing to me that when the world hits tragedy, the first thing the world does is pray. It's amazing. And to me, it flies in the face. It flies in the face of all the people who are trying to rid the world of God, that God is alive and well and that he's in control. And this morning, all I want to do is take a couple minutes with you to talk some truth, talk some real life stuff with you, because our world is looking for purpose. 
It's looking for meaning. You, as a teenager, are trying to figure it out. What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? What is the meaning behind everything I am to be about in my life, in my relationships, in my marriage one day, in my job one day? What am I going to be doing 15 years from now? What am I going to be doing next year? I have no idea. You know, we're trying to figure it out. And what is the meaning and purpose behind all that? And, you know, this is not a new question. This has been going on forever. In fact, just listen to this. Uh, the great theologian Papa Roach, okay? You all know who Papa Roach is. It's a secular band, okay? You can Google it later. <laughs> got, got one rock and roller back there. I like that, all right? So the great theologian, he's not a theologian at all. But uh, Papa Roach wrote a song several years ago. And the name of the song was called Lifeline. And this song to me, I love it, it's a great song, catchy song, you can listen to it later. Um, But the song to me describes what our world is crying out for. It's looking for purpose, it's looking for life, it's looking for the one thing that gives meaning to everything they do. And Papa Roach put it like this. He says, I've been looking for a lifeline, for what seems like a lifetime. I'm drowning in my pain, I'm breaking down again, I'm just looking for a lifeline. Is anybody out there to help me out of the emotion of my despair? For I'm drowning in my pain. I'm breaking down again. I'm just looking for a lifeline. And students, I would dare to say that all of us in life are looking for the lifeline. The one thing that gives us purpose, the one thing that gives us meaning. I have a sister, her name's Amy. Amy, um, my sister's about 18 months younger than me, and she married a doctor, and they live in Longview, Texas, have for years and years and years. And uh, because my brother-in-law is a doctor, he's a urologist, um, uh, they they have us what I call special benefits at the hospitals and and stuff like that that you and I would not have as normal people. And so I got a call several years ago from my sister. My sister called me. She said, Chris, we got some exciting news. Brian and I, we're pregnant and we're, we're, we're having a kid. And I was like, man, this is awesome. And we were so excited. This was like, you know, their first child and coming into our extended family. We were, we were all excited about this baby. And man, we celebrated this baby. And because my brother-in-law was a doctor, they had what I call special benefits to things at hospitals that you and I don't have. And so my brother-in-law had the heartbeat machine at home. And so any day they could go in, they could find the heartbeat of the baby. You hear the, you know, that thing, right? It sounds like a train. And and so anyway, that thing. And, and then they would be able to go look at the baby whenever they wanted to because he had, he was a doctor, right? They could go in and do the whole, they could, they could see it and all this. And I'll never forget, um, uh, it was my, my sister was nine months pregnant. Now for all the guys in the room, um, that's, uh, it takes nine months for the biscuit to be ready to come out of the oven. Okay. That guys, you need to know this. It doesn't happen overnight. Nine months is almost full term. Okay. And my sister's getting ready to deliver this kid. She's, uh, about a couple weeks away from, from all this. And she came in one afternoon and she came in and something didn't feel right. Call it mother's intuition, whatever, but something was not right. 
And so she ran over. She called Brian on the phone, my brother-in-law, and said, Brian, something's not right. He said, get the heartbeat machine. So she goes over, gets the heartbeat machine, starts looking for her. can't find the heartbeat of the baby. So she starts to panic a little bit. Brian says, all right, run up here to the hospital. So he comes and gets her. They run up to the hospital um, to see what was going on and so forth. And, and here's, here's what, the, what the doctors told my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, and my sister, um, who is expecting her first child in nine months pregnant of carrying this baby. They said, um, the baby's dead. Um, really tough news. And what the doctor told them, now listen, is that it's as rare as being struck by lightning what happened. And what had happened is the umbilical cord, which is the lifeline to the baby, there was just a crimp. And because there was just a little crimp in that umbilical cord, it cut off life to the baby. So the baby, when it's in mommy, cannot live without its lifeline. And because my sister was nine months pregnant, she had to deliver the baby. Really tough. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. And so they induced my sister, and, and she gives birth to this baby boy. He's perfect. He had all of his fingers, toes. Everything was perfect. And if you walked in that day and saw my sister holding that child, you would have never known anything was wrong with it by just looking. But here's the reality. The baby had no life. All because something happened to its lifeline. Now, I don't understand everything in life, okay? Can I say that to you? I'm an ordained minister of the gospel, and I don't understand everything. But I know God's faithful. I know he has a purpose for everything, even though it doesn't make sense to me. My sister now has three beautiful kids, and, you know, that's something in their life they'll never forget, but I believe God uses all things. But here's what I want to say to you this morning through telling you that experience in my family. Is that many of us in this room and in churches today, we look perfect on the outside. Look at me. If anyone was to look at your life from the outside, You say all the right things. You're at church as much as you can. You're a good person. It all looks good on the outside, but truth be known, on the inside, look at me. Some of us, we're dead spiritually. And you know what I mean. Because something has happened to your lifeline. And I believe that our lifeline as believers in Jesus Christ is the Bible. I believe it is the Word of God that gives us purpose, that gives us meaning, that is our guidebook to know how to live this life. I believe that the Bible is our lifeline. And this morning, what I want to do 
is challenge you and myself, right, about what it means to stay connected to our lifeline so that our commitment level does not go away, but so that our commitment level stands strong. The Word of God says it like this. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31 says, The Word of God is flawless. There's nothing wrong with the Word of God. There's no error. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says that we are to let the Word of our God, listen, dwell in and among us. I love that passage. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says the word of God, listen, is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So this, this lifeline of ours is living. It's active. It's without error. It should be dwelling in and among us every day of our lives. Yet so many of us Neglect our lifeline. Therefore, we have these times in our lives where spiritually we are far from God. Not forgotten, but far. See the difference? Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 119. I want to give you three things about what it looks like to stay connected to your lifeline. Three things to consider This morning, Psalm 119, y'all have heard this passage um, a million times. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I've preached this passage so much that the page of my Bible has come out. I mean, look at that. That's what I'm going to read you today. I mean, this is it. I mean, maybe I should just carry this around with me instead of the Bible. No, I'm kidding. I need the whole thing. All right, ready? But Psalm 119, we'll look at uh, verse 9. Just some things to consider. And I want to teach you three words before we read this passage. If you've got a pen, write this down. It's going to help you understand the Scripture. Here's my encouragement to you. I've been teaching students the Bible for a long time. And here's what I've learned. If you don't understand a word, don't just keep reading, okay? If you don't understand a word, go look that word up because it'll help you understand the passage within its context more clearly. Here are three words I want you to write down. Number one, write down this word. Write down the word decree, D-E-C-R-E-E, because we're about to read it. Decree. The word decree, okay, means this. It means the eternal purpose of God. Anytime you see the word decree, it is referencing the eternal purpose of God in your life. The second word, write the word statute down. S-T-A-T-U-T-E. The word statute. The word statute is a permanent rule. The word statute means permanent rule. Okay, and I'll explain that in a second. And the last word is the word precept. The word precept, P-R-E-C-E-P-T, precept means what God has appointed to be done. So anytime you see the word precept, it's talking about what God has appointed to be done in your life, okay? Everybody got those three things? Now, they'll come to life here in a second when we read the word of God. Look at Psalm 119 with me when it talks about being connected to our lifeline. And as we look at why this is important, here's the age-old question that's asked right here in the text. Psalm 119, starting in verse 9. It says, how can a young man 
How can a young lady keep their way pure? It's by living according to your lifeline. It's by living according to God's word. How do you want to keep your life pure, young lady? How do you want to keep your life pure, young man? Is by living according to God's word. Nothing else. It's not by being pretty. It's not being by being athletic or most popular. It is by living according to God's word. It goes on in verse 10. He says, I will seek you, the psalmist says. I will seek you, God, with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 11, for I've hidden your word where? In my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you, my God. He goes on in verse 12 and he says, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Teach me your eternal purposes. He goes on in verse 13, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your permanent rules, your statutes, as one rejoices in finding great riches. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts. I meditate on what you have appointed to be done in my life. And I consider all of your ways. Verse 16, I delight in your eternal purposes. I will not neglect your word, my lifeline. This morning, I want to give you three things to hang on to when we talk about what it means to be connected to your lifeline. Number one, write this down. We've got to start living according to God's word. We have got to start living according to God's word. Look at what the Bible says. How can we keep our way pure? How can a young man, a young lady keep their way pure? By living according to God's word. It's by living according to God's word. Now look at me, students. God's word did not just show up on the scene to go unnoticed. Am I correct? God left his word here for us to know how to navigate life, to know how to live life. It is our lifeline. It is our instruction manual. It is the thing that that shows us how to live, how to become more like Christ. And we've got to start living according to God's word. But here's the thing. When God sent his word to us, he did it with love. Now, how many of y'all in here have ever gotten a love letter before or a love text, I guess, would be a good way. How many of y'all have ever got a love letter before? Now, let me tell you, when I was, when I was dating my wife, her name's Amanda. I remember I was living in uh, Germantown, Tennessee, right outside Memphis. And I remember I walked out to my car one day in the summer in Memphis. It was hot. I remember it was just hot outside. I remember getting in my car. I can tell you what kind of car. I had a Ford Explorer. I remember it's black. All right, I don't have that car anymore. It was a good car, though. Lasted me a long time. And I remember walking to my car on that hot day. I remember getting to my car, and underneath my windshield wiper was a piece of paper. And I thought, dude. That's a ticket or something, you know, I thought it was something bad. Well, sure enough, I got it. And my to-be wife, who I did not know was going to be my wife, we just started dating. Um, Amanda had left me a love letter. I remember taking that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I remember getting in my Ford Explorer. I remember turning on the ignition, the wind blowing through my, no, I didn't have any hair. All right, so, but the wind just kind of blowing there, the air conditioning, that was just kind of cool. And I remember opening up this love letter and reading it. And let me tell you what made the love letter great is that everything she was saying is that I felt the exact same way about her that she felt about me. 
That's what makes a love letter great. How many of y'all have ever gotten a love letter or love text from someone that you didn't feel the same way about them that they felt about you? Yeah, let's just let's just say this. Awkward, okay? Let's just get it out of the way. It's awkward. It's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's not the same. Look at me. When God gave us his word, it was his love letter to us in hopes, listen, that we would love his word, that we would love him as much as he loves us. Some of y'all in here love sports and you can't get enough of sports because you love it. Some of you guys love other things in your life and you can't get enough of whatever that is because you just love it. And that's what makes those things so great. But here's the thing. We've got to love God's word the way that God loved us when he was writing it to help us navigate life. We've got to start living according to God's word. Look what the Bible says, verse 9. How can you keep your way pure by living according to God's word? He says, I seek you with all of my heart, with everything I am. He talks about the heart here being the centermost part of our being. And the reason the Bible references your heart is because if I take your heart out of your chest, you cannot live. Your heart is the centermost part of your being. And God references your heart all the time because he wants to be the centermost part of your life. And he says, he says, I seek you with all of my heart. Don't let me stray from your, from your lifeline, from your commands, from my life. Here it is, guys. We all have a decision to make. Number one, are we going to be in God's word every day? Are we going to read God's word? If we want to keep our life as pure as possible, we have to be in God's word. But not only are we going to read it, but are we going to do what God's word says? Here's the problem. We listen to our friends more than we listen to God's word. We listen to our culture more than we listen to God's word. We listen to what is popular more than when we listen to God's word. Let me give you an example. You say, Chris, um, you know, my friends uh, and, and me, you know, we gossip a lot. I mean, I know this never happens. We gossip a lot. Man, I say bad things sometimes. I mean, I know that never happens, right? I mean, it never happens for me. I'm perfect. All right? And, and, and you know, and, and man, Chris, I, I tell jokes I shouldn't tell sometimes. And I, you, you know, you do all this and you go, well, I do all that. Is that okay? But if you go to God's word and you line it up with God's word and you look at God's word, it says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then all of a sudden, you know what the answer is when it comes to gossip, joking, profane language. You can look at God's word and know that's wrong, but then you've got to make a decision. Am I going to listen to what God's word says about that? Or am I just going to go on because it's not that big of a deal? Hey, look at me, guys. If God wrote it in his word, it's a big freaking deal. And if we'll start living according to God's word, you don't have to live with the consequences of your sin when it comes to what you say. You say, but oh, Chris, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, my girlfriend and I, we love each other and we've been dating a whole year and it's okay for us to do whatever we want to do sexually. And oh, by the way, Chris, you know, um, I really like to look at porn. 
And even though no one in this room would ever admit they look at porn, it's the number one thing killing our students today. It's probably the number two thing killing our marriages today. But let's just not talk about it. Let's just sweep it under the carpet because nobody likes, likes to talk about porn in the church. And then you take that issue of your sexual life that God's given you and he calls you to be pure and we know that in this pornography thing and this lust thing and we take it and we take it to God's word and we go to God's word and we look at God's word and God's word says we are to flee all sexual immorality including images touching intercourse whatever it is we are to flee all sexual immorality And then you've got a decision to make. Am I going to live according to what God's word says for my life? Or am I going to do what I want to do? Students, look at me. That is in there for a reason. And you say, but oh, Chris, I really like to smoke out with my friends. And I really like to use with my friends. I deal with this every day. I really like to drink with my friends at the keg parties in the fields and yada, yada, yada. I deal with this every day with my students. And you go, Chris, what's so wrong with that? But if you go to God's word and you look at God's word, in God's word it says that we are to obey the laws of the land. Number one, it says we are to obey the laws of the land. Therefore, if you are under a certain age limit, it is illegal for you to use alcohol or to abuse alcohol. And you got a decision to make. Am I listen to God's word? Or am I going to do what my friends want me to do? Or when we look at God's word in the book of Proverbs, and it says, do not look upon the wine when it is red in the cup and it sparkles. But when we partake of it, it, it you do not remember what you do, and in the end it bites you like a snake. That's what the Bible says. And then you've got a decision to make. Am I going to listen to God's word or am I going to do what I want to do? Students, get this. You go, man, God doesn't want me to have no fun. No, that's not it at all. My youth pastor explained this to me perfectly. He was a big, jolly guy. He, I mean, he just kind of, hey, I just liked him. He was funny. All right? I'm not as funny as him. I'm more direct. I'm a coach. Get over it. All right, so... But my youth pastor explained this to me because I was like, man, I was like, Tom, how am I supposed to have fun if I can't do this and I can't do that? And he goes, no, no, no. He says, you're looking at it all wrong. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Chris, if you go over and let's just pretend there's this giant barn door here, okay? And he said, here's the deal. He said, take every single one of the sins you've ever committed in your life. What's your name? Rachel, don't be afraid. And Rachel, and we went over and we nailed, let's talk about me. We'll talk about you, Rachel. Rachel's like, Whoo. all right, good. And Rachel went over to this barn door and we nailed in all the nails representing every sin I've ever committed. He goes, here's the deal. He says, when you entered into a relationship with God, Jesus died for all your sins. You with me, Rachel? And he said, Chris, here's the thing. He says, God forgives you of all your sin. Are you with me? And so God goes over to the barn door of my life, and he removes every nail of every sin I've ever committed. And my youth pastor told me, he said, but Chris, here's what you don't understand. 
You are forgiven of every sin you've ever committed. He said, but what the one thing that stays with you for a lifetime are the scars, the holes in your door that are left behind from all of your sin. He said, God's not trying to keep you from having fun. Look at me. He's trying to protect you from the scars of life. I was looking at it wrong. And guess what? You probably were too. He's trying to protect us. That's why when it says, how do you keep your way pure? It's by living according to God's word. He's trying to protect you from the scars. I deal with the worst cases. I deal with the 45-year-old woman that had an abortion when she was 18. Is she forgiven? Yes. Does she live with the memory and the scar of that choice? Absolutely. Every day of her life. I just did marriage counseling last week for a couple. And guess what? They have been intimate with so many people that I don't know if they'll be able to achieve intimacy in their marriage. Why? Because they're bad? No, they're not bad. They just got a lot of scars in their life. I deal with the addicts that have been through rehabs and everything else. Are they forgiven if they know God? Absolutely. But the scars of their choices will last them a lifetime. Guys, look at me. God's not trying to steal your fun. He's trying to protect you from the world. And when you can view it that way, it changes your whole outlook. We have got to, as believers, if we want to keep our way pure, if we want to look different from the world, we have to start living according to God's word. What God's word says in your life as your lifeline is most important. Second thing, write it down. Not only do we have to start living according to God's word, but the second thing, we've got to start hiding God's word in our hearts. We've got to start hiding God's word in our hearts. I'm going fast. Verse 11. He says, for I've hidden your word where? In my innermost being, in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against God. Guys, whatever you put into your life, listen, eventually always comes out of your life. Whatever you put into your life eventually will always come out of your life. If we are putting God's word, listen to this, get your head around this. If we are putting God's word in our heart, in our lives, in multiple ways, guess what's going to come out of your life? God's word. If you're not putting God's word in your life, why would we expect God's word to come out of our life? It will not. I was discipling a group of guys in Germantown, Tennessee. There were four football players. I'm a basketball guy. And we'd meet on every Thursday night at my house. I had the quarterback, the linebacker, the center, the nose tackle, and the wide receiver. Houston High School. And they would come to my house and we would eat. That's what we were really good at, eating, okay? We would eat. And then after that, we would go and we'd study the Bible. We'd do accountability. But the one thing we did is we memorized the whole book of Philippians together. Why? Because we wanted to put God's word in our life. And I remember the guys the first night I looked at them and said, we're going to memorize the whole book of Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for you. I pray for great joy from your first day until now, being confident of this and just going all the way through Philippians. And we, we memorized this thing. I remember the first night they looked at me and they said, why are we doing this? And I said, believe it or not. If you will start putting scripture in your life, scripture will come out of your life and it will affect people. They're like, what? Check this out. 
We had just finished the first chapter of Philippians. Brian. Brian was in the library one day at, at Houston High School. And he was having to come to my house that next night to recite chapter 1 of Philippians to me in the group. And so he was in the library, and he had, he had some spare time, and he started typing out Philippians chapter 1 from memory because he was practicing because he knew he had to tell me in the group as the rest of us did. And he's sitting there, and he's typing out Philippians chapter 1 from memory, give you, and a guy named Will Hayes comes up behind him. And Will's like, hey, Brian, man, what are you doing? This is a football player typing out Philippians chapter 1 in the library at school. So what are you doing? He said, oh, man, I'm, uh, I'm just uh, typing out the words to uh, Philippians chapter 1. He's like, what is that? He goes, well, it's in the Bible. He goes, oh, okay. And he goes, why are you doing that? He goes, well, my, I have this group, and we're memorizing Scripture. And he goes, hey, can I sit down, and can you just tell me about that? And he's like, yeah. So Will sits down with Brian, types out the whole chapter. I was so proud of him. Got to explain to Will what was going on. You know what happened, guys? Look at Three months later, Will Hayes gives his life to Jesus. All because of an encounter with a guy that was putting God's word in his life. Question. When's the last time you just digested God's word in your life on a regular basis? Hey, I'm not talking about every second of every day. That's not what I'm talking about. What if you spent 30 minutes of your day Putting God's word in your life, whether that's reading the word, whether that's meditating on the word, whether it's memorizing scripture, whatever. What if, guess what? I guarantee you that would come out of your life if you would put it in there. It's also how you stay connected to your life. Look at what the scripture says in verse 12. It says, praise be to you, O Lord, teach me. That we are to be taught the eternal purposes of God as decrees. That we would be taught the word of God. That's how we put it in our heart. Verse 13. It says, with my lips, I recount, I recite all the laws that come from God's word. I am repeating what I'm learning. Verse 14. I rejoice in God's rules for my life as one rejoices in winning the lottery. And finding great riches. He is excited and rejoices in God as much as he would rejoice if he won a million dollars. He goes on, he says, I meditate upon your precepts which you have appointed to be done. I, I meditate on that and I consider it. He goes, and I delight in your eternal purposes, your decrees. My last point is this, write it down and we're done. Last part of that scripture says, I will not neglect God's word. I will not neglect my lifeline. Write that down. No neglecting God's word. How many of you guys in this room, just by a show of hands, are busy people? Any of y'all busy? I like to see your hands. I am too. And you know what's funny to me? Um, I don't think we really realize what all we do uh, in a day. 
And, and so um, I need someone who's smart to help me. Now, I teach a little differently, so here we go. Is anybody that's, like, maybe on the front row, smart, can add, subtract? Anybody on the front row be willing to help me? You don't have to come up here. Just sit there. Okay. All right, what's her name? Hi, Tracy. How are you? Tracy, you've been deemed the smartest person in this youth group. All right, Tracy, here's the deal. Tracy, I'm going to ask you a very important question. Everybody stay with me. This is different. Tracy, are you ready for the question? How many hours are there in a 24-hour day? Okay, you're brilliant, Tracy. All right, so the pressure's off now. Now, just by a show of hands, everybody has to participate. What's your name, man, right here? Yeah, you. Hey, Mike, what's up, man? All right, Mike, everyone has to participate with this. And what I want to do is I want to show you all what we do with our day. How many of you guys, every day of your life, whether you go to school or you're homeschooled, have to go to school? Anybody raise your hand? That's everybody. Raise your hand. I want to see them. All right, so you have to go to school. All right, so Steve's going to help me. He's going to bring this out. So this is my backpack. So he's bringing me my backpack. This represents my school. Now, on an average, listen, just class time in the school, listen to me, I go to school about seven hours a day. Okay, um, if you if you do the math, it's about seven hours a day. So, Tracy, if I take seven hours off of my 24 hour day, how many hours do I have left in my day? 17 hours. She's brilliant. Y'all give her a hand. She's doing so good. All right. Now, how many of you guys say, Chris, uh, I have to uh, sleep every day of my life. Most days I sleep. Raise your hand. Good. That's everybody. This is my pillow. Uh, I traveled all the way from Dallas, has no drool stains yet. All right, so um, this is my pillow of whom I'm proud to sleep with. I love my pillow. Okay, so um, let's, on an average, they say on any given night, you should have somewhere between six to nine hours of sleep. If you look it up and, and legally participate, this is what it looks like. All right, and uh, that includes naps and everything else. So let's just be uh, conservative in our number. Let's say I sleep seven hours a day. I go to school seven hours a day. That's 14 hours out of my 24-hour day. How many hours am I down to? I'm down to 10 hours. Everybody see where all my time just went? All right, good. How many of you guys uh, do some kind of extracurricular activity, whether that be sports, band, whatever you do? Okay, good. Uh, Do it all for the glory of God. All right, so sports, um, this is, uh, any football players in here? This is, uh, this is, I've always, my dad was a football guy and he always wanted me to be a football player. And so I always carry this around just because, um, for him, because I was awful at football. All right, good. Um, this is where the microphone people get mad at me. Okay, good. Are we back? All right, good. So I got this and let's say on an average, if you're on my basketball team, we're doing two hours of practice a day. Okay, that doesn't include weight room. It doesn't include our film sessions that we do um, every day. So let's just say a conservative number on extracurricular activities, three hours a day. You add that to everything else that we've already done. That gives me, what, 17 hours that I've used in my day. Off, is that right? Did I get it right? Off of 24 hours that I'm allotted in a day, which leaves me with what, Tracy? How many? Seven hours left in my day. All right, good. How many of you guys have to eat every day? Yeah, you know. All right, so uh, Steve's just bringing me a uh, Coke Zero because I didn't have any food. And this has uh, been traveling with me for a while. It kind of looks like lighter fluid. If you like to drink it later, I'll video you. Okay, good. So um, on an average, it says that we are to have three meals a day. Some of you eat six meals. Some of you don't eat enough meals, okay? But somewhere in the middle, we're supposed to have three hours, I mean, three meals a day. So let's say that's three hours of eating, snacking, uh, going to Sonic and getting tater tots and around 44 Dr. Pepper for me, okay? So let's just say it's three hours a day off my remaining seven hours. What am I down to? 
I'm down to four hours um, a day. How many of you guys have a uh, cell phone? Yeah, right. You're like, I'm on it now. All right, good. Um, I brought a big phone so that you could see it. This is like old school. You can't find these anymore. Okay, so uh, anyway, this is my phone. Between all of my Instagram posts, all my social media, between all of my short phone calls, all my short text messages, all of that, some of you guys spend hours upon hours on your phone. If you were to add all of those things up, it'd be a long time playing games, all that stuff, okay? But let's just say a conservative figure is that I'm on my phone at least an hour a day conservative enough for y'all? Okay. An hour a day, take that off of, I'm down to three hours. Okay, good. So we all have phones. How many of you guys uh, play video games? Any gamers? Any, I see that hand. All right, good. So I got my uh, PlayStation controller here. It's an old one. It's probably a classic. All right, and uh, I got it here. How many of y'all have ever played a video game and you looked up seven hours later and you were still playing and you went, dang, Let's do it again. All right, so, all right, so you got that. Let's say an hour of video games, take it off. I'm down to two hours a day. How many of you guys have to work on your computer for school, for research, for just surfing the internet? You all work on a computer. This is um, an old laptop. This is the first iBook ever made by Apple. I've had people offer to buy this from me, not for sale. All right, so um, let's say we spend an hour on the computer. What am I down to? I'm down to one hour a day. See where my time's going. Um, how many of y'all like to listen to music? Anybody listen to music and hear that guy in the back? Like, me, Papa Roach rules. All right, good. All right, so um, just put those on. Um, just kind of put them on my neck. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. All right, good. The microphone people get a little anxious. All right, let's say I listen to music an hour a day. What do I have left? I have nothing. I'm down to zero hours. How many of y'all like have like real relationships with real people? Like friends? How many of y'all have friends? Come on. You know you do. How many of y'all have boyfriends, girls? You, you have relationships, okay, with real people, parental, parental, whatever they're called. You have those too. All right, so we have that. We don't even have any time for that. All right, but here's, here's my friend right here. Um, y'all give it up for Steve. Doesn't he look good in that wig right there? Y'all give it up for Steve? Yeah. So Steve's my friend. Let's just say I spent an hour working on my friendship. Doesn't that look good? I mean, it's kind of like the Napoleon Dynamite look for him. All right? So, so but let's just say we spent an hour on our friend. Everybody's like, picture, picture. All right? So, all right, so uh, let's just say we spent an hour on our friendships. I'm down to negative one hour in my day. Y'all give Steve a hand for helping me out. Thank you, buddy. You can give me that right there. Now, here's the deal. Everybody look at me. Everything I got in my hand represents everything we do in a day. Don't miss it. I'm done. Look, everything that I have on me and in my hands, there is nothing bad about any of this stuff. Do you all agree? But here's the problem. We pack all of this into our 24-hour day, and then let me show you what happens. I have no time left, and I have no hands left because my time is gone to pick up the Bible. And so what happens is I go to bed because I'm tired, not because we're bad, we're people. And we wake up the next morning, we do all of this again, and we don't have time, and we don't have a hand to pick up that Bible. And one day turns into three days, three days turns into a week, week turns into a month, month turns into six months. Some of y'all, it's been a year since the last time you've really connected to God's Word. Not because you're bad, but because you're busy. I want to change the process for you. Here's what I learned. 
And when we can put all this stuff down, this is going to make noise. When we can put all of this stuff down and we do this first, it makes all of this stuff better. It makes all of this stuff, look at me, have purpose. It makes all of this stuff have meaning. When I do this first, then when I go to school, God's word's in my life. Therefore, God's word's probably going to come out of my life like my friend Brian. When I go to sports, extracurricular activities, I'm playing with a purpose now and God's words in my life so I know what words I can say and what words I can't to be the example that I need to be. I know who I'm playing for. When I'm in God's word first, when I get on the computer, I'm able to navigate just a little bit better the things that might tempt me. When I'm on my phone and I've been in God's word first, it allows me to navigate my conversations and my interactions and what I post a little bit more carefully. When I'm interacting with people all over the world playing games, it gives me a platform. When I eat, I eat to the glory of God. Amen. And when I sleep, I don't know about y'all, I always sleep better knowing that in my day I've been in God's Word. I don't know what it is. When I listen to music, it helps me navigate my music a little bit better. And when I deal with the people in my life, I know it's kind of weird, but when I deal with the people in my life, listen, because I've been in God's Word, it takes the edge off my response to my parents. It helps me treat the people who are closest to me better. We've just been taught wrong. We've been taught to try to cram this in somewhere. I want to tell you this. This shouldn't be the last thing you do. It should be the biggest priority of your life. Because if you're a believer, look at me. It is your lifeline. I want to pray for you. And I'm not doing an invitation this morning, so don't worry about that. But some of you, if you're being honest, just you and God where you sit, some of you just feel spiritually dead. Because you look great on the outside, but on the inside you know you are far from God. You've not been in His Word, and it's killing you. And this morning, if that's you, just make a commitment to God that you're going to be connected to your lifeline. The greatest sin in the church today is people that say that they know God, but they don't have a relationship. 
They live their whole lives not being able to pray and talk to God because they know they don't have the relationship. They spend their whole lives really wanting to be in the Word of God, but allowing other things to dictate that. I just want to challenge you. Stay connected to your lifeline. God, it's a strong word for me to hear this morning as a man. For these adults and these students, I pray for them. If they're far from you, if they feel spiritually dead today, dear Lord, that they can understand that you want to protect them from the scars of the world, that you want them to put your word in their lives and remind them that they can never be too busy to spend time with you. This is a relationship. And our purpose and our meaning in life comes from being connected to you through our lifeline. Thank you for loving us so much that not only would you send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again, but that you would send us your love letter, our lifeline, called the Bible. Let us never, ever neglect that in our lives. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.